Well, good morning, Springbrook. It's so good to have you here. I want to thank you for making our time of worship as a family a priority, especially during this busy Christmas season. Let's get a, a, uh, let's see what the wise men are doing here. <laughs> now, this is uh, John and Kristen Lagani who put this together. Are we there yet? Two years to go, bro. Maybe if you would have stopped for directions, yeah. <laughs> so keep sending me pictures because on Christmas Eve we are going to be talking about the wise men. I mean, really talking about the wise men. And I guarantee you, I'll share with things, share things with you that uh, maybe you don't know that will uh, inspire your Christmas. And of course, we have uh, services at three o'clock and four thirty. And again, I know some of you can't make it, you're out of town, but if you can't make it, we'd love to see you. And of course, hand those cards out, invite other people, because Christmas Eve is one of the highest attended services, and people are more likely to go to it, so take uh, advantage of that. Well, today, I would like to tell you a story. I would love to tell you uh, this story because... It is an incredible story of God's unrelenting love. God just continues to pursue us. None of us fully can grasp how deep and wide His love for us is. Now, we're going to look at a, a story. Look at a book of the Bible, Hosea. And it's a little different kind of story, I guess you could say. And But again, it, it illustrates to us the love of God. Now, if you go back to the Old Testament, you think of the nation of Israel, and you had Solomon who ruled. But after Solomon ruled, uh, there was, a, uh, again, a separation of the nation. You had Judah in the south with Jerusalem as the capital, and you had the northern kingdom, uh, north, where, again, these particular people had really just said, we don't want anything to do with God. Jeroboam was their king, and so he put up a golden calf that they all worshipped among other gods that they had, and just a lot of sinful behavior involved in that. So I say that because we're going to talk about Hosea, who was in the northern kingdom. And his job was to be a prophet. Anybody have a tough job out there? Try being a prophet, okay? So here he's up in the northern kingdom, where they're just letting their passions go and doing whatever they want. And his job is to be a mouthpiece of God. That's what prophet means, a mouthpiece of God. God directly spoke to the people through these prophets. So what was his message? He said, hey, you guys are in rebellion. You need to repent. You need to turn to God or his judgment will come upon you. Everybody likes to hear that kind of message, right? You know, walking out throughout the streets and maybe you got a crowd around them, maybe just an individual and says, hey, you're going to be judged if you don't get your act together, if you don't turn back to God. It was a tough job. 
continuing to say that message on a regular basis and have very uh, limited positive response. But that was the job of many of the prophets. So Hosea is interesting because God asked him to do something very unusual. We read in Hosea 1-2, When the Lord spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go take to yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. The word for a prostitute. And God used that regularly throughout the Old Testament to talk about Israel when they turned from him because, again, we were made to be lovers of God. He is supposed to be the only God in our life where they had gone and give their love and resources and time to these artificial gods like the young calf, or the golden calf, that is, that Jeroboam had put up. So you can read this a couple different ways. It's not quite clear. One way you can read it is that Hosea married a practicing prostitute. Well, that's one way you can interpret uh, this. As I reflect upon it and looked at the whole story, I didn't think that was the case. Because it said, go take yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So when you think about it, everybody in the northern kingdom was a prostitute or a whore because they were not worshiping the one God. Yahweh. So if you read it in that way, you think, okay, well, he has to go out and marry one of these women who are part of this culture. That's how I would read it, but you can take a look at it yourself. It's interesting to read the different commentaries. So I believe that he went out and he married one of the women in the northern kingdom, and her name was Homer, or Gomer, (laughs) Gomer, and she, it's really interesting to, to kind of think about what uh, that must have been like. Because I tend to think that this was really true love with Hosea. I mean, he really did truly love her. It wasn't like he was just going through the motions and, and doing what God said as we look further into the story, because that would really change the dynamic of the story. I believe that Hosea truly loved and cared for her, even though she did many things to bring great pain into his life. So they were married. I don't know what happened. Maybe it was evangelistic dating, you know. (laughs) Hosea said to Gomer, you know, you really should repent. Oh, I'll do that for you, honey. Yeah, I'll repent, you know. (laughs) And uh, so they finally get married, and uh, she gets a little bit tired of his job because he's not very popular. And she's not very popular either. Oh, that's the prophet's wife, the guy that's always going around telling bad news. And I think as the, the years went on, she started to slip. And she wanted to go back to her own ways. She wanted to worship the golden calf and and they all had 
sinful activities revolved around that. and uh, So she slowly fell back to that direction. Let's look at the next verse. And the Lord said to him, Call his name Jezreel. It's given birth here. For in just a little while I will punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. So they had their new baby boy. We saw some uh, babies in the first service. It's always so exciting. And they got their new baby boy. What are we going to name him? And God said, you should name him Jezreel. And everybody goes, whoa, why? Why Jezreel? You see, Jezreel was a place of judgment where Queen Esther, remember, or not Queen Esther, but (laughs) Queen Jezebel, she had been thrown out of a window (laughs) by her hair, and then she had hit the ground and dogs surrounded her and it was a messy situation. But that was God's judgment when anybody ever said, Jezreel, a pious Jew, would go, what? Why are we talking about Jezreel? That was a dark time in our history. And here they're naming their son after him. It would be like if a Jewish couple were going to uh, name their child Dachau. Dachau? That's, that's one of the concentration camps in Germany where so many Jews and others suffered and died. Why would you name your kid Dachau? Well, that's the same type of response that Hosea got when he told them that his son was named Jezreel. Let's go to the next slide. Hosea 1.6, she conceived again and bore a daughter. Well, got a son and a daughter. And the Lord said to him, call her name No Mercy, for I will no, have more, no, I will no more have mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them at all. Another great name. I don't think it was uh, in the baby books at that time. <laughs> no mercy. Come here, no mercy. <laughs> right? Then he had a third child. Hosea 1.9. And the Lord said, call the third child, call his name not my people, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. What's he saying here? Well, Hosea kind of figured it out over time that these were not his kids, that she had been sleeping around and there were different fathers to these kids. And it was all for the purpose of God laying out this living illustration to the people there in the northern kingdom and his whole family. It was a story, a story of God's love for Israel. And I can imagine that, you know, it was a, maybe a smaller community and everybody knew who the prophet was and everybody knew Gomer. And so they watched this all play out. I mean, what a powerful parable for them to see in living color to realize how they had rebelled against God. This particular story tells us so much 
about how much God loves us. And you can imagine Hosea at the park. At the park. Now, when I was younger, I used to take my kids to the park as evangelism bait. <laughs> if I just show up, that's weird, right? Later, I took my dogs. <laughs> yeah, I took the, the kids. And just imagine Hosea sitting down at the park and saying, oh, and some woman sitting by and say, what's the name of your children? Where are they? Well, let's see here. Uh, over here we have, oh, there's no mercy. Yeah, she cute. <laughs> oh, and that's Jezreel. <laughs> what? Oh, and, and that's not my people. You see, he had those as object lessons where he could explain to people, these children are what you have become, that you're awaiting judgment, and there will be no mercy for you, and you're no kin of mine. We go on to the next verse. For their mother has played the whore. This is actually 2-5. It's 1-5 in your notes, but now we're moving on to the second chapter. For their mother has played the whore. She who can see them has acted shamefully. For she said, I will go after my lovers who give me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax, my oil and my drink. What happens there? She actually leaves Hosea, and she leaves him with the kids. She doesn't care about the kids. She's only about fulfilling her selfish desires. So you can just imagine Hosea. He knew things were going on, but now she's actually left, and he's there at the table with his three little ones and just trying to figure out what's going on, and the pain going through his heart. I mean, he stayed with her even though he knew that she was having affairs. And now she's left. And what does he do? He remains committed to her. So if we put that in our frame of mind, in our culture, if you had a spouse who had been having affairs, several different affairs, and your children were by that particular uh, those people, men. And then, on top of that, your spouse leaves. I think that would be a good time to end it, right? This is not healthy. This is not godly. I'm going to divorce her. In fact, he could have had her stoned. But did he? No. He stayed committed to her. When you think about the story of Hosea, it's all about God's outrageous love. Don't you like the word? Outrageous. Sometimes it can be something negative, but outrageous is like bold and it's special and it's startling. I can't believe that that person loves them so much. That is outrageous love. And the purpose of the story of Hosea is to show us what God's love is like. It's an outrageous love. Now we're going to talk about God's love. Let's say it together. I'm saying God's love. 
And I'll say, God loves us, and then you say, outrageous. Okay? God loves us outrageously. Okay? Let's go again. God loves us. That's pretty good. Much better than the 9 o'clock crowd. They're tired, I understand. All right, one more time. God loves us. And that is the thought that I want you to carry throughout this Christmas week. I want you to think and meditate and thank God for His outrageous love. Maybe you're here today and uh, you grew up in a church and uh, you got away from that and and you never really have been back to church. We have a lot of people like that who come uh, through our doors. And typically people of that nature have been brought up in a works-based type of salvation. You know, you have to go to church and do this and do that. I mean, you accept Christ, but then you've got to keep up your end of the deal and make sure you're good enough to get into heaven. Well, my message to those of you today, that the gospel is all about God's unconditional love. He doesn't want your good works. They're like filthy rags. Only when you come humbly to the throne and say, Lord, I repent. I want to thank you for what Jesus Christ did on the cross for me. And I want him as my Savior and my Lord. That's when a person becomes a Christ follower. And I'll tell you what. You cannot imagine how much God loves you. Maybe you're thinking, hey, wait a second. You don't know the backstory here. You know, I did this and went there and had that experience. And, I mean, it got pretty low, you know. Now, the question is, did God's love change for you from when you were doing better until you hit rock bottom? No. His love never changes for us. It's always the same. He is unchanging, and He loves us unconditionally with no conditions. Not like, well, you did that, I'm going to love you less. No, it's unconditionally. And there are so many people in our world that have grown up and picked up baggage and their view of God is that he's angry and he doesn't like them and he's just ready to swat them. <laughs> they do something wrong. Oh, no, that's so not true. I mean, really, what do you think of God? What do you think of his love? Is it conditional on how many times you come to church or how many times you read your Bible or whatever? No, it's not. It's not conditional upon anything because God chose to love us, those who were sinners, those who deserved the eternal penalty, which is a Christless eternity. And He chose us, not because of who we are, but in spite of who we are. He chose us. And then He brought us to that point of humility of becoming a Christ follower. And now we're children of His. That's God's unconditional love. And I would say that we all need an infusion of the truth about God's love. I would say most of you
do not think enough about God's love. How He cares for you no matter what's going on in your life. Let's say you're a Christ follower and you fall into rebellion. You know, you're on track there for a while, but all of a sudden you went back to your old friends and your old ways and you're thinking, oh, God will never let me back now. I mean, I have really blown it. Whatever salvation I had, it is gone. Because He loves you unconditionally. It's like with the story of the prodigal son, which is similar to this story. You know, prodigal son, God's inheritance, want to go out and spend money on his wild life, and he ran out of money, ended up on pigsty, and I'd be better with my dad. So he went back. And how did the father greet him? Did he greet him according to what he had done? How he had wasted resources for the pain that he caused him? No, he threw a party for him because God's love is unconditional. Or maybe today it's Christmas and it doesn't feel right. Maybe because of the loss of a loved one. Brings back memories from past Christmases. Maybe you're single and lonely. All that kind of thing. You say, you know what? I don't feel God. I pray to God every day. Lord, please comfort me. Be with me. Show me your presence that He doesn't show up. But He's there. He's right there with you. You know? He's not lost. He didn't move. Now, again, that's just the nature of our emotional lives, that we go through those dry times, but we just need to continue to remind ourselves about this outrageous love that God has for us. And even though we don't feel it, we can say, I know it's there. It's the truth. We need to be thankful for God's outrageous love. We need to be thankful for God's outrageous love. Say that with me. Outrageous love. We need to be thankful for God's outrageous love. We need to be thankful for God's outrageous love. This is the story of Christmas, right? Jesus gave up everything. The God, the Father allowed it in order to become one of us live as a carpenter and then to give his life for us. Now that's unconditional love. The verse, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's an unconditional love, right? What kind of love is it? It's an outrageous love. It's outrageous, there's no doubt about it. So we see that she leaves him. Now, <laughs> you know, each, each point along the story is his love gets more outrageous. All right? In verse 8, this is chapter 2, verse 8. And she did not know that it was I, Hosea, who gave her the grain, the wine, and the oil, and who lavished on her silver and gold which they use for Baal. 
can imagine the scene. The prophet Hosea comes up to the house where he knows that his wife Gomer is living. And he knocks on the door. He said, is this where, is this where she's at? Is this where Gomer's at? You imagine the guy thinking, hey, let's, let's go for it. He said, no, 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 you don't understand. You see, I want to make sure she's really provided for. So I'm going to give you some silver and some gold. And Hosea was not a rich man. He was a prophet for Pete's sake. So he really sacrificed. He gave resources he didn't have in order to care for her while she was in rebellion. And she did not know that it was I who gave her the grain, the wine, the oil, and who lavished on her silver and gold, which they used for Baal. He knew when he gave this stuff to them that she was going to use it for Baal. That's crazy love, isn't it? That's outrageous love. What is it? It's outrageous love. I mean, think about that. Put yourself in that situation. Your wife is living with somebody else. And every week you're coming over, giving resources just to take care of her. That's outrageous. Man, that's how much God loves you. He loves me. And he loved the Israelites. You go to the next slide. And the Lord said to me, Go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, for they turned other gods and love cakes of raisin. We're just assuming the cakes of raisin has something to do with the, uh, the worship of these other gods. So here Hosea has continued to love Gomer. Remember, this is all going on publicly. I mean, they know who's who and where they're at. And they're thinking, the prophet. I mean, he can't even imagine his own family. And so he's out there every day still preaching. But he's supporting her. And now God says, go and get her. Go and get her. Bring her home. At that time, she had kind of reached rock bottom because she was with a man who didn't care much about her and he was selling her into slavery. Now back in that day, the ancient custom was slavery. It was part of the institution of the society. And so they would have many, at least one time a year in each city where they'd have a slave auction. What they would do is they would bring these people up before the others, and sometimes with the women, they would just strip them of their clothes. Can you imagine how Gomer felt at this time? Standing up there, humiliated. Maybe her mind turned back and said, What a fool I've been. How I have messed things so much. Here I have Hosea, my loving husband. But I wasn't satisfied, so I chased after other things. And, and look where I am. I'm a slave. 
Now, Hosea was down in the crowd. And everybody knew Hosea was there. People are thinking, yeah, Hosea came just to get revenge, just to let her know that he was there when she was going to be sold away because how she had been unfaithful to him. Or maybe other people knew this story better. Oh, get, get her out of there. Hosea can't take any more of this. But Hosea was there. And when the bidding started, one guy said two shekels, five shekels, seven shekels. And then Hosea said 15 shekels and some barley. And that was the price of a female slave in those days. Now, can you imagine the crowd? This guy has lost his mind. We knew there was something always wrong with him, but he has lost touch with reality. He's buying his wife back. And what does that remind you of? Reminds you of Jesus Christ, doesn't it? Because that's what Jesus Christ came to do for us. He came to redeem us, to buy us back. Not from Satan, but to buy us back from the penalty that we deserved. Even if, even as we were sinners and we had nothing to do with him, he died for us and he bore our sin in order that he might invite us into his family. With unconditional love. You don't have to do anything. You just humble yourselves and repent and claim Him as Lord and Savior. And You see, the whole book of Hosea, in terms of this story, is foreshadowing when Jesus Christ would come back and redeem us. So it's not only a living illustration for the people who lived in that day, but as we read it, we're learning... About God's what? Outrageous love. One more time. God's? It just doesn't make any sense, does it? And that's the point. God's love does not make any sense because we are wired in such a way that, hey, you know, I've got to do this to get that, and I've got to treat this person this way to get the same type of treatment back, and that's not the way God works. He just loves us. One of the most important things, again, I want you to remember is that you might feel like God has no interest in you whatsoever. That he's just lost it with you. He said, I'm going to give up on Jimmy. He's just caused me too much pain. And so God's checked out in your life. But friends, he has not checked out. He is still there with the same love that he's always had for you. Look at the next verse. Hosea 3, 2. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lechets of barley. And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man, so will I also be to you. He had bought her back 
of suffering. He said, now, I want you to walk with me. I want you to change things in your life. And again, even if she went off the deep end again, the, the love would not change. And what we're so brainwashed, whatever, in our culture to think that uh, love does not come free. But it does. From God is unconditional love. Interesting, I read this story about Philip Yancey. He wrote a book, and he shares in the book that he was asked to speak at a conference uh, for prostitutes over in Europe in order to minister to them. And he wanted some time to talk with them if he was going to do that. And so he kind of asked around, and he sat down with women, and he said, you know, Jesus hung around with tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes. Now, why in the world do you think he would hang around prostitutes? So he asked a group of women, and eventually someone spoke up in broken English. Everyone... She has something to look down. Everyone, she has someone to look down on. Not us. We are at the low. Our families, they feel shame for us. No mother nowhere looks at her little girl and says, Honey, when you grow up, I want you to be a good prostitute. Most places we are breaking the law. Believe me, we know how people feel about us. People call us names, whore, slut, hooker, harlot. We feel it too. We are at the bottom. Sometimes when you're at the low, you cry for help. So when Jesus comes, we respond. Maybe Jesus meant that. Isn't that beautiful? He hung around with sinners because... Wanted to hang around with people who knew they had a need. A need for what he was to give them. That unconditional love. And one last verse in Romans 8:37-39. This is the outrageous love of God, okay? Now in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him. Who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. And friends, when you first embrace that love and salvation, you'll experience for the rest of your life. It's an unconditional love. And again, my challenge for all of you and to myself is that, you know, go on the Internet and Bible verses about love and just sit there and soak it in. So many of us just need to do that. We work so hard for God and, you know, we might not have a works mentality, but sometimes we fall into that. But it's time just to stop and look at God's Word, reflect on this story, and say, oh, God's love is outrageous. Let's pray. Dear Father, 
I thank you so much for the life of Hosea and the life that he lived. The things you asked him to do, he did. Caused him great pain, but he communicated to the Israelites in that day how they were loved by God. And it communicates to us today about your outrageous love. Thank you for loving us unconditionally and outrageously. 